Well, good morning, church family. My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here, and this week was a mess. It was a mess for me, for the church building in many different ways. If you've ever been part of a construction project, you know that there's a mess, right? We are redoing our stage because this used to be like little carpeted, kind of, there was like six pieces. It was like a puzzle piece that you put together, and it was shaky and bouncy, and we've had funerals and weddings here, and not everyone could fit on the stage. And so we are redoing our stage, and as you can imagine, as they pulled out what was here and built what is here this week, there was sawdust, and there was cutting and there was noise. They had to cover the piano with plastic to keep all the sawdust from getting on it. Uh, we remodeled my kitchen last fall and had to move out for three weeks because it was such a mess. How many of you have remodeled or you've been around construction? You know the mess involved in construction work, right? You can't get away from it. You can't get around it. And this fall, we're entering this series called Soul Work. And when we begin to do real work, real construction on the soul, remember, if you were here last week, the soul, it is our mind and our heart. It's, it's both of those things. And in, in the Hebrew scriptures and in the, in the New Testament Greek text, as they thought about the heart and the mind, the soul, it was the inner person, the inner being, it was all connected. It's not just that we're rational beings who think or we're emotional beings who feel, but we are both. And when those two things converge, it's a mess. And when you begin to peel back the layers of your soul and actually do the deep work of, of, of working on who you are, who God's created you to be, it creates a mess. And so this past week was a mess in the church building as construction work was done on the stage. It was also a mess in my life because I continued to do soul work. My last 15 months of spiritual walking with the Lord has been a mess because I've been trying so hard to prioritize soul work moving towards greater intimacy with God authenticity with God self and others and simplicity with God self and others and I want to invite you into that some of you don't want a mess you want to keep things nice and tidy and clean and organized and controlled you're really going to struggle with this if that's the case because we are complex human beings and we need to begin to peel back the layers that we hide behind and get into our soul. And so last week we kicked the sermon series off by looking at the invitation and foundation to intimacy. The month of September is about intimacy with God. And then the month of October is authenticity with God, self, and others. And then simplicity with God, self, and others will be in November. And so for September we're focusing, focusing in on intimacy with God. And, and some of you don't even like that word. I have a few friends who won't even say that word out loud. And when we talk about intimacy, yes, it relates to sexual intimacy, but it's so much deeper. It's conversational intimacy. It's relational intimacy. It's, it's something that all of us, whether you are unmarried, whether you are married and struggling, whether you are widowed, whether you're married and thriving, this idea of intimacy has to apply to each and every one of us. It's not just a word for sexual relations in marriage. God has wired us as human beings for intimacy. Within the last week or so, I've heard of another pastor who I've listened to and respected quite a bit who's taking a break from ministry because he was struggling with intimacy with God and his wife, and therefore his heart, it seems like, was led towards finding relational, conversational intimacy with somebody else. See, the thing is, you and I, we're all wired for intimacy. And if we don't find it with God, if we don't find intimacy within ourselves, if we don't get to know ourselves, and if we don't find intimacy with the people closest to us, whether that's your spouse, whether that's your family, whether that's your friend group, we will find intimacy in unhealthy ways that don't fill our soul up, but 
stifle our soul. We're hardwired for intimacy. This is how God created us. And so this morning, I want to invite you to dive into this idea of intimacy with me. We're going to look at some essential ingredients for intimacy this morning, but I want to start by looking at it in the scriptures. Psalm 131 and 139. So could you stand as I read our text for today? Psalm 131, we're going to start there. It's on page 519 in the Pew Bible. And we're going to move over to Psalm 139. And then we're going to save that John passage for the end of the sermon this morning. Let's start with Psalm 131 and Psalm 139. David, the warrior man after God's own heart, the king of Israel, writes this intimate prayer. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Move over to Psalm 139 with me. Again, David, the warrior king of Israel, writes this intimate prayer. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet you, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as enemies. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, we invite you right now to search us and to know our hearts. To try us and to know our thoughts. Lord, you already know us. You know our hearts. You know our thoughts. But Lord, oftentimes we shut you out and we shut you down. And we 
try to keep you out of those intimate places of our lives that you're already well acquainted with anyway. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would open up our hands, open up our hearts, open up our minds, open up our souls, and freely allow you in so that we could explore the depths of our soul with you in love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. Usually at Park Community Church, we take a, a, a book and we kind of work through it verse by verse, or we at least take a passage and we kind of exegete the passage, look deeply at the passage. This morning, I want you to know I'm not really doing that. I'm going to share with you some things that I've experienced in finding true intimacy with God, some essential ingredients for intimacy, and they're all steeped in the scriptures. So if you grab the soul worksheet and start reading through those verses, through those passages, I think you're going to see them. You're going to see these in Psalm 139, but it's not so much like a, here, look, this verse, this is where I get this point. It's more messy than that. It's this holistic, as we bathe ourselves in the word of God, as we invite the Holy Spirit of God to explore our soul and to reveal ourselves to ourselves in his presence, these things come out. And so this morning, we're going to talk about essential ingredients for intimacy. And the main overarching essential ingredient for intimacy is to be seen, known, and loved as you truly are. To be seen, known, and loved as you truly are. Think about all the adventures of man, like the, the sports addiction, the, the fantasy sports addiction, the, the, the sexual addiction, the, 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 the work addiction, workaholism, the substance abuse, all the things that destroy our soul, these are all a replacement for intimacy. See, you and I were created for deep, abiding intimacy. We long deep in our souls to be seen, to be known as we truly are. Look at how David says this, verse 1 of 139. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. This intimate knowledge. He says, you know when I sit down, when I rise up, you know my thoughts from afar. A lot of our life goes to trying to keep people from knowing who we truly are in the deepest, most intimate parts of our soul. The things that we think. The, the things that we suppress, the things that we try to hide, this is so much of our life. And here, David is saying, God, you know me. You know my thoughts even before I know my thoughts. This intimate connection, this intimate relationship. And if you and I are going to grow in intimacy with God, with other people, and, and really with ourselves, we have to discover what this looks like for ourselves as well. I think a lot of us struggle with intimacy with, with ourselves. We're afraid of ourselves. We don't actually like who we are or who we're becoming or where we've come from. And so we put on a mask, we pretend, we try, to, we try to project a certain life to other people. And the truth of the scriptures is, the truth of intimacy with God is that he already sees you as you truly are. He already knows you deeply, fully, and he loves you in that place. That's why he sent Jesus his son, to live a perfect life in your place because you're incapable of living that perfect life, to die a death in your place and to overcome sin and death in the grave and to give you new life. Amen? He sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. Hear that and believe that. That's the starting point for intimacy with God. Now, I'm going to walk through some different ingredients. So last week, we talked about the invitation and the foundation to intimacy. If you missed last week's sermon, you could go back and listen to that so you kind of get this idea of God's invitation to us and the foundation for building intimacy. But this week, it's, it's like ingredients, right? If you bake a cake, there's certain ingredients that you need. Some bake gluten-free cakes. Some bake cakes with gluten, right? And if you have a gluten intolerance, you prefer a gluten-free cake 
If you don't have a gluten intolerance, I promise you, you prefer a gluten cake, right? That's how it is. So, so there's some different ingredients, and everybody has a little bit of different ingredients, and so I'm going to share with you my process over the last 15 months of discovering intimacy with God, self, and others, and I'm just beginning this journey. I'm 15 months into it. I think it's going to be the rest of my life journey of discovering an intimacy with God. But I want to share with you some of my experience. And, and I think you'll see this in the scriptures. And I'll point out to some verses as we go. And so let's jump in. Covenant and communion is the first ingredient. And really last week I shared this in the sermon as the, the foundation for our intimacy with God, right? God has made a covenant with us, his people. This is the theme throughout scripture that God says in the Old Testament, he says this, and then Jesus comes in the New Testament to give us a new covenant, to, to make this covenant in blood. In the Old Testament, God says, I will be your God, you will be my people. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a covenant. Like, when you get married, you make a covenant, a vow to one another, not, 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 a, not a wedding on conditions, right? How awkward, I've done a bunch of your weddings, how awkward would it be if during that vow time I was like, okay, if you do the dishes, if you make the money, if you mow the lawn, if you take out the garbage, if you give me the sex that I want, right? Fill in the blanks, then I will always love you. No, it's I will always love you, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. Till death do us part in sickness and in health. This is the type of covenant that God makes to us as people. I'm not going anywhere. I know the best of you and I know the worst of you. I've heard another pastor say, you're not as good as you think, Andrew. But you're more loved than you'll ever know. Nope, nope, I've messed that up. He says, you're, you're far worse than you're even aware. But you're more loved than you've dared to believe. You're far worse than you're even aware, but you're more loved than you ever believe. And, and I think that's true in marriage. When you get married, you make these vows. You don't know each other deeply yet, Right? Keep living life with each other, experience some trials with each other, and then you begin to know each other, and this covenant binds you. God has this covenant with us. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm not going anywhere. And then communion, it's, it's his process of being with us, of seeing us, of knowing us, of spending time with us, and this builds trust. And trust is a key component to intimacy. You cannot find intimacy with God, with yourself, or with other people if you don't build trust in a book called The Relational Soul, one of the recommended books, I highly recommend this book to you. I would encourage you to go and get it. The authors write, intimacy requires the capacity to trust one's heart to another. Our capacity to be appropriately close in relationships flows from our capacity to trust others and ourselves well. Trust fosters an open, receptive soul that is able to give oneself and receive the presence of another in free, responsible, and loving ways. And isn't that what David has here with God? Psalm 139, God, you've searched me, you know me. The Psalms are full of David and the other Psalm writers expressing their growing trust in God. The Psalms are amazing because you have them cursing God. What? Are you kidding me? I had an experience this last week where I was just frustrated and mad at God. And I, and I confessed to a friend that, that I, oh, am I going to go here? This is going to be an intimate sermon series. I confessed to a friend that I actually cursed at God in my prayer life. And I said, I, I just need to confess this to you. And he goes, at least you're praying. And I said, I'm not sure that it, that it counts if I'm accusing, cursing, 
and some other T word. You've heard of the Acts model of prayer? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I think there's another Acts form. Accusing, cursing, threatening, and some S. Fill it in. And so I'm confessing this to a friend. Does this count? And he says, if you read the Bible, I think it does, because it's all over the Psalms. He said, you're talking to God. You could shut him out and ignore him. And it was good for my soul to be reminded that I'm building this relationship of trust with God where I can express to God how I really honestly feel. Now, this doesn't mean I perpetually complain and whine, right? We can't get into a perpetual relationship where we're cursing and accusing, and, and, and right? But there's this point of like, here's how I feel. And then God's like, I know. I know it's frustrating, and I love you, and I'm not going anywhere. That's his covenant. That's his communion with us. It's this ability to trust him and to other people. We need to get into this place where we can begin to trust. And that leads to the next ingredient here, even this quote where it talks about the, the ability to give one's self away leads to the next ingredient that I've experienced in creating intimacy with God's help and others, and that's taking and giving. This idea of taking from and giving to. This, this reality that we are a dependent people. We are dependent on God, and, and you probably, you, you hear these words paired together, right? Giving and receiving. Oftentimes we put giving first because we like to think that we're so holy and so self, um, so others focused and not selfish that we want to be givers, we want to be givers. Well, you start as a taker. And I don't even want to say receiving because that's a soft word, right? Giving and receiving, that sounds platable to us. But in reality, you and me, we're takers. We come into this world as takers. Parents, with little kids, what does your kid give to you? A lot of internal stuff, right? But in a practical level, they t all they do is take. They take your time, they take your attention, they take your milk. They take. They literally suck the life out of their mother. All of us came into the world that way, right? The sermon series titled Intimacy. It's going to be weird. <laughs> this is how we come into the world. We are fully dependent on somebody else for our very life and well-being. We come into the world as takers. Pastor Ben often says, we're all needy and we're all needed. This idea that, that we have to keep in mind, we're all super needy. We come as takers and we remain takers throughout our lives far more than we ever want to admit. We, we, we like to think that we kind of grow and mature and get to this point where we can just give away to others. It, and that is part of maturity, right? That's why these two are paired together. We take and we give. We're dependent, but we also have to differentiate. Like we have to grow up and we have to separate a little bit. We can't be perpetually takers. However, so maturity leads us to giving away to others. It leads us to caring for others, to giving other people things that they need. But we can't lose sight of the fact that we're perpetually takers. Why do you think David prays this way to God? Because he knows he needs God. He's still dependent on God. Psalm 131. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous, marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. I'm, I'm needy for nurture. I'm needy for you. I'm dependent on you, God. And so David, the warrior man after God's own heart, the warrior king, is far softer, far more tender, far more vulnerable, far, far more intimate than most of the examples that we throughout our lives look to. I'm convinced of it. 
He plays a harp and cries. Is that a picture of a man in our culture? No. Like, get a sword and fight. Well, David plays a harp and cries. He also does the other. It's a complicated relationship. We are takers, and in our maturity, we also need to become givers. David Benner, in his book, The Gift of Being Yourself, the other book that I highly recommend you would do, you read through in this sermon series, he says, truly transformational knowledge is always personal, never merely objective. It involves knowing of, not merely knowing about. Knowing God's love demands that we receive God's love experientially, not simply as a theory or a theology. Personal knowledge is never simply a matter of the head. You, you see that? The, the, this dependency, we're takers. We must receive God's love and not just with our heads, not just through another sermon, not just through another podcast, not just through another book. Though I'm recommending books, though you're sitting here listening to a sermon, though I'm recommending podcasts, because the head can start to help to stir your heart, but intimacy comes in experience. Intimacy with God comes, and we're going to get to this, but intimacy God, with God comes when, when you start to actually open up the inner parts of your soul. You start to discover for yourself how broken you are, how messy you are, how needy and dependent you are, and God says, I know, and I love you. You're far worse than you think. And I love you far more than you know. And so would you receive my love? Next ingredient for intimacy is time and space. Time and space. Slowing down enough to be present and attentive. See, David can write these psalms because he had time of abiding with God. Time to sit in the presence of God. Time to think. Time to write poems. Time to write songs, time to wrestle with the inner workings of his soul. He wasn't so busy that he kept suppressing his frustration, that he kept suppressing his doubt, that he kept suppressing his fear. He wasn't just going through his devotional life in the morning like, I've got 10 minutes, I'm going to read the Bible, pray, and get to work. That is not how you develop intimacy with God or yourself or other people. You develop intimacy by creating time and space where you slow down enough to actually be present and attentive in the presence of another person. Think about Jesus with God the Father. Now again, I'm not going to go to a bunch of different verses here because sometimes I think we talk about the truth of the Bible and then we don't believe it unless we slap a verse on. And I get that. I'm used to doing that, but I'm just not going to in this series. The fact is, if you know the Bible, you know that Jesus would pull away from people to be with God the Father. He says that he would go out to a desolate place. He would, he would go and abide in the Father's presence. He would create time and space to be with God the Father. You know what else he did? Jesus created intimacy with his disciples by creating time and space to be with his disciples. Last week, we looked at Luke 22, the account of Jesus, the, the, the Lord's Supper, the first Holy Communion, Jesus with his disciples. And it says that he reclined at table. This long, drawn-out meal, the Passover feast, was this long, extended meal with good food and good drink and extended time together. And Jesus says in that passage, I have earnestly desired to eat this meal with you. He created time and space to be with the disciples. It wasn't an hour checking off like church attendance as, his, as their religious duty, right? He spent time with them. 
This worked out for me last summer when I was on sabbatical. I went up to a hermitage and I spent time with God. And, and I'll tell you, I went to the hermitage thinking that I was going to pray and fast and like spend the time on my knees in prayer and solitude. And when I got up there, because I had enough time and space, I had three days and nights to just be. And I got up there and I, and I kid you not, I felt like God, it wasn't an audible voice, but I felt like he strongly said, Andrew, what do you want to do? And I was like, that, I'm not allowed to do that. You can't ask me that, God. I'm your servant. What do you want me to do, right? That's how, that's how we're taught. God, what do you want? And, and that is a part of the Christian walk. We, we need to be about the Father's business. We are dependent on him and we are obedient to him. But in this time and space, God said, Andrew, what do you want? What do you want from me? He said, I don't even know. My soul is so suppressed, I don't even know what my soul wants and or needs. So I'm sitting there in this place, and, and I shared this story before. I'll share it again quickly. And I'm thinking about fasting and praying. I was like, God, if I'm honest with you, I want to cook brats over a fire like I did when I was a kid. Love crusty meat over a fire. I want to do that, and I want to go fishing. And God was like, well, then let's do that together. This is a time and space for us to be together us to develop a relationship, a friendship. And so let's do that. And so I went fishing and I, and I grilled some brats and I did some reading, did some praying, listened to some music. It was an incredible time, but I had time and space to slow down and be present and attentive to God. And I heard his voice far more powerfully than when I just try to go through religious motions. And it involved scripture reading and prayer. So those of you who are all religious, like the Bible, 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 prayer, 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 it involved that and it has to involve that. But it necessitated time and space for me to slow down to be with God, not to check off my religious duty, right? We get that? I, I went to a cabin with my best friend a couple of years ago, and he is, he's been my best friend for 15 years, and, and we have a lot of similarities, a lot of things in common, and we've always been pretty close, but we went to a cabin for three days and three nights. You see a theme, cabin for three days and three nights. If you want to get intimate with God or somebody else, do that. And me and my friend are there, and we've shared a lot about our lives with each other, but we had this time and space to be present together, and our friendship took this whole new level of depth. We spent six hours doing a Spotify playlist. Like, I would pick a song, he would pick a song, I would pick a song. We, we sat by a fire and six hours of just listening to music. Like, you like that song? I like that song. You listen to this song in junior high when this girl broke up with you? So did I. It was amazing. We had time and space to be, and it created this deep, intimate friendship. We need this with God. We need this with others. When Brittany and I are able to get away and go on trips together, there's this level of intimacy in our relationship that is a result of having time and space to be. Right now, our daily rhythms are tough. We have three kids and school and chaos and work, right? But when we can pull away from that, or even in the midst of that, when we can carve out time and space to be together, to slow down, be present and attentive, our relationship takes on this whole new necessary and needed depth. David Brenner, in his book, The Gift of Being Yourself, writes, Relationship develop when people spend time together. Spending time with God ought to be the essence of prayer. However, as it usually is practiced, prayer is more often like a series of emails or text messages than hanging out together. Often it involves more talking than listening. It should not be a surprise that the result is a superficial relationship with God. And I don't know about you, but oh, how guilty I am of that. And what I want for you, what I want for myself, what I want for our church community is to be with God. 
to have a relationship with God, a friendship with God, to have time and space to be with God, not to use God as a genie to get the things done that we think need to get done. This is what David, again, is doing. He's he's with God. He has this relationship with God where he can talk in a real manner, not a religious manner. Time and space is necessary. And related to it is the next ingredient is proximity and hospitality. This relates to time and space. Proximity and hospitality. Proximity is just being near somebody. Hospitality is opening up your life, your home, your spaces to people. It's an intentional rhythm that invites openness. We have to spend time with God and with other people in, in flesh. We have to invite them into, into our lives and be invited into their lives so that we can build this relationship. Think about God coming near to us in Jesus. In the Old Testament, God was proximate to the people in the temple, in the tabernacle. The Spirit of God dwelt there. And as they moved, as they traveled throughout the wilderness, the presence of God, the proximity of God was centered to their camp. In the New Testament, God comes to be proximate with his people in the person of Jesus Christ, who's spending time and creating spaces to be with his disciples. This hospitable heart where God is welcoming us in, inviting us in. I've experienced this recently with a, with a friend of mine who just kept intentionally inviting me into his life and his home, practicing hospitality. This friend of mine happens to also live close, and so we bump into each other on the trail. Like every time I go for a, a run or a walk, it seems like at least 50% of the time I'm bumping into this person and we have spontaneous chats. So we have planned, intentional, deep chats with each other, but then we also just have these spontaneous connections because we're proximate to each other. And, and, and I want to just encourage you too, if you've lost proximity with some of the closest people to you, if you're lacking proximity, you need to replace that with consistency of conversation. My best friend moved to Colorado. We don't see each other on a regular basis anymore. And so I have Snapchat for one reason. I hate Snapchat. I hate social media. I hate everything. <laughs> I don't like text messages. I don't like voicemails. I don't like Snapchat. I don't like Facebook. I don't like Instagram. Just leave me alone. Thank you. I have Snapchat for one reason, that he and I can have consistency of conversation, that we can tell each other the judgments, the frustrations, the real things, the joys, that we share that with each other because we don't have proximity any longer, but we still need each other for intimacy. And so we communicate all the time. It requires proximity and hospitality. The next ingredient here is vulnerability and risk vulnerability and risk and so in these places when you're with another person you're building trust you have time and space together you have proximity and hospitality you've realized that you are dependent there's some giving and some taking there's also vulnerability and risk in openness sharing our story removing our mask or if you want to put this in religious terms for those of you who are like come on confession confession you, you know what else david says in the scriptures 
Psalm 32 and 51 are these beautiful pictures of when David was living this lifestyle of sin and he was keeping it concealed within him. He says, when I kept my sin concealed within me, it was this heavy weight. My soul was being sucked dry. I had heavy daily burdens because I was keeping this sin within me. And then he says, and I confessed it to you. And when I confessed it to you, like Ben read this morning, Acts 3, 19, repent and, and forgiveness and refreshing for your soul will come. This is the spirit. The, the theological language for this is confession, repentance. But for us, we, we need to know and think about it. Just Sometimes I think it helps to put theological terms into different words because we don't instantly have categories for them, like vulnerability and risk. This is what God is inviting you into and what you need with other people. You need, you need time and space. You need people to be with where you can be open, where you can share your story, and where you can remove your mask. I think we wear masks for a couple reasons. Three of the ones that come to mind for me are to protect people from seeing who I truly am because I'm afraid that if they see who I truly am, they'll reject me. And so you wear a mask. I'm not talking about COVID masks, right? Like these, these, these facades, these things that we put on to try and get people to think certain things about us. I, I wear a mask to protect people from seeing who I truly am because I'm afraid if they saw the true me that they, they would reject me. Or we may wear a mask to project how we want to be seen. And these probably go hand in hand, protect people from seeing who we truly are or projecting how we want to be seen. Or you might wear a mask to pretend, pretend to be what you think other people want you to be. How many times have you said yes to things because you want people to like you and think you're nice and kind and helpful and you're like, mm, I don't have time for that. Well, you're putting on a mask. And sometimes, yes, you just need to suck it up and serve other people, right? But this is the soul work. I've got to figure this stuff out. Why do I keep saying yes and growing bitter? Why do I always say no and never say yes? You've got to wrestle with that stuff. In the presence of a trusted other, whether that's God or another person, we must start to remove our masks, allowing light to shine into the places we prefer to keep hidden in the dark. Experiencing grace, love, forgiveness, and acceptance in our most embarrassing, exposed places is where true intimacy is experienced. Or in the relational soul, they say it this way. They say, we rehearse the events of our lives related to telling our stories with other people. As we rehearse the events of our lives in the receptive presence of another, the implicit dots of our story begin to reveal themselves. The picture of our life begins to emerge. By means of the lines drawn between the events, emotions, and interpretations, we see our story more clearly, the good, the bad, and the ugly. As we see our own story in the loving presence of another, our inter interpretations are transformed. We learn how to trust more deeply. We learn how to love by being loved. This is the mystery of vulnerability, confession, and repentance. And is this not the invitation of the gospel? We can own up to who we really are in the presence of God who loves us beyond all measure. We can repent and surrender our false selves to the one who lived, died, was raised, and ascended to heaven. Amen? You can remove your mask. Start with God. That's where it starts. You're going to struggle to trust other people and to confess your deepest joys confess and share right we want to confess and share our deepest joys with other people that's that's part of friendship 
but we also want to confess and share our deepest struggles with other people. And if you haven't learned how to do that with God, the way that David has, oh, oh Lord, here is all of me, you're going to struggle to do it with other people. And you are hardwired for intimacy, for connection, for deep and meaningful relationship with other people. And so spend the time with God where you can start to take off the masks, where you can start to reinterpret your story and think through your life events. And you can hear God's tender, loving voice say, I know I was there with you when you did that. And I still love you. I was there with you when that was done to you. And I'm angry about it as well. And someday there will be vindication. For now, know that I love you and I'm with you and I'm walking with you in those dark places. We need vulnerability to open up. And, and, it, and it's risky, right? Because we're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of being shut down, shut out, pushed away. And let me tell you from experience, when you begin to get vulnerable with God, you do not experience him pushing you away. You experience him drawing you in closer. And once you experience that with God, you can start testing that out with other people. Find a few trusted people. Hey, here, here's the real me. You experience their love and intimacy begins to grow. Two more points here on, on ingredients to intimacy and we'll wrap up. The next one is affinity and curiosity. This is just shared interest. So affinity is like-mindedness. One of the, and I think we need to be careful with who we build intimacy with, right? You're not called to have an intimate relationship with everybody. The Bible calls us to love God and love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. You may not need to, it may not even be wise for you to develop a deep intimacy with your neighbor. Proximity matters, but proximity is not the only ingredient to intimacy. I think affinity matters. I, I, I have an intimate relationship with my best friend because we like a ton of the same things. And so that creates time and space for us to be together. We go snowboarding together. We go fishing together. We argue about sports together. We listen to the same music for hours. It builds this relationship where intimacy can happen. That's affinity. It's a shared interest, something that we both enjoy. And so as you're thinking about intimacy with other people, think about who, who are you friends with that you have an affinity for? A personality that just, you're like, they're funny, they're quirky, they're weird, I like them. That's probably somebody that you can grow an intimacy with. You don't necessarily have to grow an intimacy with everyone, nor should you. I think there's, we should have a few people who we're growing in intimacy with. And then curiosity, this is just where, where you take an interest in somebody else and what they are interested in, regardless of you are, if, if you're interested in that person or not. This is really helpful for friendships, for family relationships, for marriage. Brittany has taken an interest in baseball because I'm obsessed with baseball. And it's really good for our intimacy together because we can watch baseball together and talk about it, and it's fun. She doesn't have to like it. We don't have to have an affinity for baseball together, but she has taken a curiosity in, in it, an interest in it. I have taken a curiosity or an interest in musicals. I used to hate musicals. I just heard her laugh downstairs. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I... I used to hate musicals, and I've been to like five of them now. And, and I'm interested. Not on the same level as baseball. We don't have that affinity for musicals with each other, but I have a curiosity. This is something you're interested in. That helps to build intimacy. It helps you to grow. Isn't this 
This is what God does with us. Like when I was on my retreat and God was like, all right, let's go fishing and eat, eat brats together. I don't know if God eats pork. At least not in the Old Testament. It was forbidden for God's people, so he probably doesn't eat pork either. But he was like, hey, go make that brat over that fire and let's go catch some crappies. I'm with you. He, he took an interest in what I'm interested in. And it was such a sweet moment of like, I, I kid you not, I'm in this canoe fishing and I just felt God there with me. Well, and Jesus was all around fishing, right? So I guess it is biblical. All the disciples were fishermen. It was just sweet, this, this curiosity. That's how intimacy grows. And then lastly, familiarity and friendship. Familiarity and friendship. This is just being around each other enough that we become familiar with each other. We know how each other works. We get our ticks. We understand. We can finish each other's sandwiches. Huh? Frozen quote, a few of you? Sorry. We can finish each other's sentences. Like we're familiar with each other and we have this friendship. And in this place, you are known and liked and loved. And here's what I think some of us need to be reminded of. We, we talk all about God's love for us, right? What if God liked you? Maybe God likes you. Maybe God wants to spend time with you. Maybe he wants to have a friendship with you. Imagine that God's familiar with all of your inner thoughts. I mean, didn't Paul... Did, not Paul, David, didn't David just say that? You, you know my thoughts from afar? You discern my thoughts from afar? God's familiar with you. He knows your good thoughts. He knows your disgusting thoughts. He knows your judgment of others. And he knows, he knows your poor judgment. And he knows your good judgment. He knows you. He's familiar with who you are and how you are. He wants to be friends with you. He, he knows you, he likes you, and he loves you. So open yourself up to him. I'm going to flip to John 15, 9 through 17 now as we transition to a time of communion. I'm just going to read this passage. And as I do, the worship team is going to come up and they're going to lead into a time of worship. And there's communion stations here, two in the front, one in the back. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you want to step into an intimate relationship with him, these elements are here to remind you of the relationship that we have with God through Jesus the Son who gave his life for us and shed his blood for us and the one who calls us a friend. So I'm going to read John 15, 9 through 17. And then I just want you to visit the stations when you're ready and spend time communing with God, your father and your friend. Jesus himself says in John 15, 9, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one other than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends 
for all that I have heard from the Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Jesus, I thank you for calling us friends, for revealing to us all of what the Father has revealed to you. You, Jesus, yourself, you said that I have made it known to you, and this isn't just a head knowledge, it's an experiential knowledge. And so, Lord, I pray even this morning as we take communion, as we reflect on these words, and as we sing these songs, that we would have an experiential relationship with you where we hear you calling us friend. I thank you for seeing us. I thank you for knowing us. I thank you for liking us, and I thank you for loving us. May we experience that more together. In Jesus' name, amen.